Amen. So, good morning, folks. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, my name is Johnny, as you guys have said. I am an East Belfast Presbyterian. Uh, I've got a lot of friends, though, in the Vineyard Church. Um, and hey, the church is the church, isn't it? We're, we're one family. Um, one of the greatest privileges of my role with Alpha Northern Ireland is that I get to spend a lot of time in lots of different churches. And something that God was speaking to me about in the autumn of last year was about the prophetic and trying to uh, just grow in my ability to hear his voice and to share that with others. So anytime I, I'm invited to speak in a church, I'm just asking God during the week, is there a word of encouragement that I can bring? Um, so this is my, this is my attempt. Or this is what I, I felt I heard during the week for you. Uh, I saw a, a picture of uh, what seemed to be like a blanket, uh, and it was over the top of your gathering on a Sunday, and I felt that God said, this is my peace, and as you walk into the next chapter of your community uh, and your, your family uh, and your journey, God was saying that my peace will be especially heavy on you, and it will guard your hearts, um, and I also saw an image of people wrapped really, really tightly in blankets. And there were people who were cold, who were hungry, who were uh, troubled, uh, suffering. And I felt God say that uh, I want to wrap these people in my love. Uh, and this is what I'm calling you to. Uh, and the scripture that he, he gave me was from Second Corinthians 1, uh, 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. That was uh, what I felt God was saying to me this week for you guys. I'd love to share a little bit today about Alpha. And I hope you know this, that there isn't any magic in Alpha. There's no magic in a brand or in a, like a, a red question mark at a 45-degree angle that changes lives. Um, but Alpha as a movement it is a phenomenon. And, of course, the roots of Alpha and the renewal of Holy Trinity Brompton, where it came from, are, are in the vineyard movement, which I think is wonderful. But there's no magic at all in Alpha. Alpha is simply about bringing food and the gospel message uh, and friendship into close proximity. Uh, and I, I, I want to make you a promise because I've seen it everywhere I go. When you bring food and the gospel message and friendship into close proximity, lives will change uh, and people will be transformed. Uh, it's, it's what God has promised to do uh, and it's what he is doing all over this country and, and all through the nations. Um, I want to share a little bit today about the heart of Alpha. I'm aware that I'm something of a stranger. To most of you, I see a few faces that I recognize, but to most of you, I'm a bit of a, a stranger. You know, until I was 15 years old, I really had a perception of God in my imagination as being quite like a science teacher from school. I had a science teacher uh, in, in school, and let's call him Mr. Farmer, okay? That, that actually was his name. Um, <laughs> And Mr. Farmer uh, was a fascinating character. He, he was a particularly dangerous type of teacher because he was really gentle. He was really lovely. We got on really well. Um, but he was capable of the occasional volcanic eruption. Um, some teachers are slow cookers, and you get lots of warning as their anger goes through the gears. You know, they kind of say, be quiet, be quiet, please be quiet, please be quiet, and you know to take the warning. 
Uh, other teachers are more volcanic and can explode uh, without rhyme or reason. Um, Mr. Farmer was capable of the odd eruption, and he had this pet hate, which was people breaking his safety goggles. And one day we came into class, and we all got a, a lecture about the safety goggles before we'd even started, and I thought, okay, today is not the day to break a pair of safety goggles. My friend John, though, he was a prolific destroyer of safety goggles. One of the clumsiest guys I'd ever met. And I thought, yeah, John is for sure going to break some safety goggles. And there's, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be so good. Um, the class was about an hour. And after 45 minutes, he hadn't broken any safety goggles, which was disappointing. But uh, with about 10 minutes to go, there was a little crack. And John broke his safety goggles. And there was a collective intake of breath. And I thought, oh, yes. Um, and Mr. Farmer said, it's okay, John, just go and get another pair. And I could see that he was inwardly seething, but he managed to keep a lid on it. Uh, and, and there was that sense, particularly among the lads, of like, what, is that it? But John went and got another pair. Uh, and I kid you not, two minutes later, John broke a second pair of safety goggles. And this time, Mr. Farmer went ballistic. And John did something that I've never really understood. Uh, he stood up. So we're all sitting on those stools that you have in chemistry, and Mr. Farmer is laying into him, what did I tell you about the safety? And John stands up, and I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you standing up? Um, and, and it went on and on, and it felt like forever. It was probably about 30 seconds. Um, and I could see that John was about to cry, and of course, like any 13-year-old lad, you know, it was terrifying, and at the same time, wonderful. I was like, oh, yes, he's going to cry. Um, and then, just as, as quickly as it erupted, Mr. Farmer just went from, like, up here to back down there, and he's like, okay, sit back down. And, and Mark Atkinson, in the most opportunistic piece of brilliance, took his safety goggles off and quick as a flash, popped them onto John's stool. Uh, and John sat down on a third pair of safety goggles and the third pair were completely obliterated. Um, and I think John probably needed to go to hospital to have like safety goggles removed from him, but uh, he was so embarrassed and so uncomfortable, he just sat there for the rest of the class. Um, I, I'll never forget that day. It was probably the best day I ever had in school. Um, and until I was 15 years old, I, I think I realized as I got older that my perception of who God was, now I came from a family of faith, and I'd grown up in the church but there was a lot of cultural religion around, as there is anywhere in Northern Ireland. And my perception of God was really shaped around this image of a science teacher. Uh, I never doubted his existence, but I, I was pretty sure he was stern. And he was a kind of arbitrary creator of rules. And we didn't really know each other. There was a polite relationship, but no real form of friendship. And at 16... I had a Romans 5 verse 5 moment. Romans 5 verse 5 says, God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And some people, that pouring of God's love into their hearts by the Holy Spirit happens over decades. For me, it was all in one life-changing instant, uh, one very snotty life-changing instant. And God just put a finger on something that had always been there, but I didn't, I didn't know it was there. 
uh, and suddenly everything that was in 2D was in 3D. Everything that was in black and white was in color, and I, I knew I was loved. I knew who I was because I knew who he was. And I remember getting back into the car with my, my folks afterwards and thinking, what on earth am I going to tell them? Because nothing's ever going to be the same again. And I, I knew that in, in an instant. Uh, and the, another unexpected development was I couldn't stop talking about Jesus. Prior to that moment, I'd been really ashamed to use his name. Uh, he was a taboo subject. I certainly didn't want to share him with friends in school. I didn't want to talk about Sunday. But the Holy Spirit got this grip on my life. And I couldn't stop talking about him. Uh, and, and I had decided at that moment that I wanted to live an uncommon Christian life. That I wasn't going to settle for what John Tyson calls rumors of God. I, I wanted to see God working in real time in, in my life and through my life and in the community that I was part of. I, I'd, love you to, I, I'd love to remind you again this morning that God is calling us to pray for and to pursue uh, his work in real time. No, I, I, I'd love you to decide as a church, we're not going to settle for rumors of God. We're not going to settle for the heritage that we have in the vineyard movement or for what God did last year or the year before that, but that God still wants to move in real time and is still calling us to live an uncommon Christian life. We need constant reminding of that. But Alpha, what does Alpha do? Alpha is about sharing Jesus with others. Once the Holy Spirit got a grip of me, I couldn't stop talking about him. Uh, and Alpha is a tool, and it's nothing more than that, that has been developed as a way of sharing Jesus with others. It's not the only way, but it is one way. And Alpha's in 130 countries. There's 29 million people have done Alpha around the world. In Northern Ireland, uh, you're, you're one of around 500 Alphas every year. Uh, we do it in churches, in prisons, in schools, in golf clubs, in pubs, in living rooms. Last year in Northern Ireland, we had Alpha in English, Spanish, Polish, Romanian, British Sign Language, uh, and Farsi in South Belfast with 30 Iranian refugees. There, there's more going on than, than you would imagine. And like I say, it's not, it's not about Alpha. It's about churches that in, in our cultural moment of increasing secularization are realizing that there, there is a broken and dying world out there, and the, the call, it's, it's on us. Like, this is our time, and it's on us to hold out the hope that we have. So Alpha is about sharing Jesus. Alpha is also about shaping church culture, uh, and that's maybe not as well understood, but every church has a culture. Culture is best described as the way we do things around here. Uh, and sometimes you just get an intrinsic sense as leaders that the culture of the church needs to change or, or needs to evolve. Uh, it's very hard to define or articulate, but a, a story I heard once about the purpose and the identity of the church uh, that was brilliant was written by a guy called Father James Mallon. He's a Catholic priest from Canada, and he, uh, he is a phenomenon in himself. Um, he's leading renewal across the Catholic church around the world, and he talks in his book about the first time he ever ran Alpha. And in order to run Alpha, he needed a hall like this one. And the only problem was that his church had a cards club. And the cards club had been founded in 434 BC. Uh, and most of the founding members were still in attendance. And they weren't keen to lose their hall for anything. So he pleaded with them and they had a meeting and they set up a committee and another committee and, and they argued about it back and forward, back and forward, back and forward. And eventually, there was one lady in the room 
who, utterly exasperated, finally said what she actually thought. Uh, and at the end of her rope with Father Malin, she said, Father Malin, we don't need to hear about Jesus. What we need is cards. Uh, and he looked around the room and he had this moment of realization that everybody else felt the same way. They just weren't brave enough to say it. Now, here's the thing. It's not where we are, okay? I know that. And where I'm from in Orangefield, it's not where we are either. But, but the story highlights that there is a human propensity in the church to drift over time from our sense of core purpose, our sense of identity, the things that God is calling us to, and to lack focus. Somebody said to me once, um, what do the Simon community, the BBC, and Harvard University have in common? The answer is that they were all established to share the gospel. Um, and, if you, and if you look at those three organizations, they're at different stages of that journey. But you look particularly at Harvard or the BBC, you know, that, that identity, that purpose seems like a million miles away. And throughout the scriptures, in the Old Testament, the prophets repeatedly called God's people back to that sense of purpose. Jesus uh, turned the temple upside down because the people had forgotten the call on their community to bless and to serve others and to, to draw them into the presence of God. In Revelation, John writes to the churches and he says, remember, 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 don't, don't drift away, don't lack focus on what the main thing is. Um, so Alpha has this way, it's one way of sharing Jesus with others, but it also has this remarkable capacity to shape the culture of our church uh, to be a, a faithful and a brilliant expression of what God's calling us to, not because there's a brand, but because food and the gospel message and, and friendship is what we're all about. I know a church in England last year who decided for uh, 10 weeks that they would stop everything else that they were doing. So that, that is very uncommon. It doesn't happen often, but God said to them, I want you to stop everything that you're doing because you're becoming really samey. Everybody looks the same. Everybody sounds the same. Everybody dresses the same. You're, you're, you, as a family, you're, you're becoming too insular. And I want you to stop everything. And for 10 weeks, if you're coming out midweek to do anything associated with church, it's Alpha. And I want you to bring somebody. And, and, and God did something remarkable. And then after 10 weeks, the life of the church uh, kind of was, was taken up again. But they recognized that there was something in their culture that needed to shift a, a little bit. So Alpha is about sharing Jesus, and it's about shaping culture. Alpha does this in three ways. There are three elements to Alpha, uh, and I would just love to unpack them really quickly for you this morning and say a little bit about them. So the first element of Alpha, I should say the three are food, the gospel, and friendship. So number one, if we look at food, right, Alpha always begins with something to eat or to drink. Why is that? Well, the United Kingdom a few months ago appointed a lady called Tracy Crouch. And Tracy Crouch is the first government minister in the United Kingdom for loneliness ever. And in fact, Tracy Crouch is the first government minister in the world who has been appointed solely to look at the problem of loneliness. Her job is to do something about the nine million people in the UK 
who suffered profoundly from loneliness. She was asked by a journalist after the first week how things were going, and she said this, the reaction was phenomenal. I found my secretary under the desk because the phone hadn't stopped ringing and the emails were insane. A lot of people came to see me. Canada, the UAE, Iceland, Sweden, Japan, Germany. In fact, I can't think of a region of the world that didn't follow this up. New Zealand have just been in touch to say, we're watching what you do, so no pressure. The cultural moment that we're living in is one of hyper-connectivity, hyper-individualism, uh, a total breakdown of community and sense of belonging, and a generation that is digitally frazzled. And the cost of this is that people are dislocated, and they're isolated, and they're hurting. I, I really believe that Alpha has changed. I think 10 years ago, the biggest question that people brought on Alpha was, do I believe this? Is it true? And as a church, sometimes we carried that weight of responsibility to answer all of their questions. We carried that heavily. And maybe, maybe in the past, you've been anxious about something like Alpha because you feel like, what if I don't have all the answers? I don't think the biggest question people come with is, do I believe this anymore? I think it's one of their questions. I think the biggest question people come with is, could I belong here? Is this a place that I could belong? John Mark Comer said, what if we discuss methods and strategies for evangelism and we've missed something that's easier and actually transcends culture and time? Maybe the most undervalued and underused way of introducing others to Jesus is food. Robert Karras said this in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is always either coming from a meal, at a meal, or going to a meal. It's not class. Study the Gospel of Luke. Look at the characterization of Jesus. Try to look at that as if you were studying it with fresh eyes, and you will find, according to Robert Karras, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is always coming from a meal, at a meal, or going to a meal. Maybe the Son of Man had a mission, that's Luke 19, 10, to seek and to save the lost, and maybe he had a method. Luke 7, 34, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Maybe he had a mission to seek and to save. Maybe he had a method, eating and drinking. The early disciples spread the gospel from table to table to table. The last time we did Alpha in Orangefield, there was a, a lady there. She was from a Catholic background. She uh, had never been to anything like Alpha, and uh, we weren't exactly sure where she was on her faith journey. And when we finished Alpha, uh, the last evening, our Alpha coordinator said, well, folks, that's it. We're done. And she just burst into tears. And there'd been no sign of that kind of emotional heaviness at all for the previous 10 weeks. And somebody put an arm around her, uh, and she just, like, snotted and sniffed her way through, saying, I, I've never felt like I belonged to something before. You know, it, it was the sense of belonging to something was leading to belief in who Jesus was, and it was leading to a, a, a transformation of her lifestyle. You've heard of the word xenophobia. It's the hot topic for 2019. Xenophobia is alive and kicking, the fear of the stranger or the foreigner or the one who doesn't belong. The New Testament word for hospitality 
xenophilia, the polar opposite, the embrace of the stranger, the love of the stranger. I think Jesus was the ultimate example, wasn't he? Like I, I've come to understand that sin, a biblical vision of sin in my life is not so much that Johnny does bad things. It's more that God has given us an incredible vision of the good life. And by my very nature, it's not even about what I do. It's about who I am. I'm just not it. I'm not the vision of the good life that God has given us. And, and that, by my very nature, I'm at enmity with God and I'm not, I'm not belonging. And Jesus came and in his rejection on the cross, I have found acceptance and a drawing into the belonging uh, to the family of God. And even though my nature is still to screw things up, I, I'm safe in that belonging and in that love. Um, but, but the first time he met me, it was in my brokenness as a stranger. And he loved me into life. Uh, and he took away the things that were separating us. Hospitality. Um, you, you see it in the word hospital. Why? Why do we call a hospital a hospital? Why is it a house for strangers? Are people, surely people that are in hospital are sick and in need of healing. Folks, can I suggest to you that there is a profound and mysterious connection between being welcomed and being healed? That's why we call a hospital a hospital. When you welcome people uh, and you create an environment and a family where they can belong, um, and there's a cost to that as well, but when you step out and you obey Jesus as he calls you into that, people find healing in, in your midst. Tim Chester said, around the table, we offer friendship, we celebrate life. Meals offer a divine moment and an opportunity for people to be seduced by grace into a better life, a truer life and a more human existence. My favorite Alpha story in Northern Ireland is a First Balamina Presbyterian. In First Balamina, they sat down as a group of leaders and they, they looked each other in the eye and they said, our church has become an institution. This was nine years ago. And I think to myself, fair play for having the courage to do what so many fear to do and just name the problem. They said, we feel like an institution. We don't know how we got here. We don't know when it happened, but that's what it feels like. We're not like a family. Uh, and they ran Alpha. And as they ran Alpha, they invited the whole church to do it. That was a one-off. It never happened again, but they asked everybody to do it. And the whole family gathered on Sunday nights and they had meals together. And the attendance on a Sunday night doubled. And after uh, they'd finished the Alpha, there were 13 people that had either come to faith or full membership of the church. And as the leaders gathered to pray and to celebrate what God had done, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Uh, and there were a lot of tears. Uh, and I mean, I, I'm talking, like just so we're clear, and the guys would not mind me saying this, we're talking about 75 or 80 year old guys in suits here, okay? It's, and the Holy Spirit is poured out and this renewal begins in the church. And when I say Alpha running in Polish and Romanian, it's first Balamina that eight years later are, are doing that. It's awesome um, what God can do with food. I, I was chatting to a lady who had come to faith uh, in, in Low Church in South Belfast a few months ago, and she said, I had been widowed quite young, and for eight years after my husband died, I made myself a cup of tea. And for eight years, nobody else did that for me. And when I came on Alpha, somebody put a cup of tea in my hand as soon as I walked through the door. And it was as if I heard the voice of Jesus himself saying, sit yourself down, because I'm going to look after you now. 
And I, I couldn't believe this. I was like, the, everything inside me was like, hang on, what, you know, what about the message of Christ on the cross and his sacrifice? And I began to understand that hospitality is not a means to an end. Hospitality is an embodiment of the gospel message. Now, it's not the gospel message in all of its depth and all of its riches and all of its um, completeness, but it is the beginning of an embodiment of the gospel message that says in his rejection, you are accepted and you belong and you are loved and we want to listen to you and sit yourself down because Jesus is going to look after you now. Food is pregnant with potential when you ask the Holy Spirit to be involved. Uh, even if you're, you're unable to do Alpha in the next term, let me offer you another challenge. What about cross-pollinating your table at home? Well, what about finding a way somehow, whether it's at home or at somebody else's or in church or in the pub or in a cafe somewhere, of just getting people who follow Jesus and people who don't around a table together with no agenda and inviting the Holy Spirit to be part of that somehow? Uh, what might happen when we lean in to that together? There's always food. There's always a gospel message. Um, the Alpha Talks are normally about 25 minutes long. They open up the essentials of Christian faith. And the centerpiece of the Alpha uh, content is a presentation of the significance of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And all I want to say to you today is we do not graduate from that to anything more complex or more important. The, the worship of heaven is of the Lion of Judah who appears as the Lamb who was slain. Heaven's worship does not graduate to something more important or more complex or more profound than the cross, uh, and neither do we. I wonder, at times maybe in our own culture, that message has been a bit disembodied, I think if you went into Belfast City Centre this afternoon, you could probably find that message somewhere being thrown at people in a way that's disembodied or that's combative or that's impersonal. Let's not lose confidence with the message itself just because at times the vehicle for that hasn't served us well. We need to be confident in the message that we have. Paul in Romans he says this, he says, how, how can they believe, sorry, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Another time in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 20, Paul says, we're Christ's ambassadors as though he was making his appeal through us. And I think we need to recognize that if we are Christ's ambassadors and he is making an appeal through us, um, an, an unmistakable and irreplaceable part of that appeal is a verbal appeal through what we say. The great thing about Alpha is that somebody else in the talk, whether it's on film or, or done with a live talk, somebody else gets to articulate what we believe. Um, and that way we bring people into proximity to the gospel message in a way that only the gospel message could offend. Nothing else could, could offend. The gospel message, when it's articulated well, it brings clarity and it brings, it brings authenticity to who we are and what we're trying to say. Um, because people recognize an agenda. It's not hard to spot an agenda. Uh, and on Alpha, we don't have one other than we, uh, we follow Jesus and our heart is that you would meet him and get to know him as well. That, that's it.
that all sounds easy in theory. The problem is in practice. You see, telling people about free Krispy Kreme donuts, that's really straightforward. When I lived in Durham, Krispy Kreme donuts opened a shop in Durham city centre, and they were giving away boxes of 12 donuts for free. Boxes of 12. Not one, not like a box of donuts, right? And on this particular day, like when you walked through Durham city centre, there were donuts as far as the eye could see. Everybody had a box of donuts. And people were stopping strangers in the street and saying they are giving away boxes of donuts. So I thought, I'll believe it when I see it. I went down, sure enough, they were. I got a box of donuts, couldn't believe it. Texted my wife, called my friends, and realized halfway down the street, I was closer than I'd ever been before to grabbing complete strangers by the scruff of the neck and being like, dude, they are giving away boxes of 12 donuts. And it's, it's an easy message. If that was our message, I mean, it would be easy. Krispy Kreme Donuts opened in Belfast a few months ago, and they actually ended up on the BBC News because the PSNI shut them down, right? Apparently, you need a license to give away boxes of donuts, and Krispy Kremes did not have one. Um, you wouldn't, it would only happen here. Like It could, it could only happen here. Listen, um, telling people about Krispy Kreme donuts is easy. Telling people about Jesus is not. Let's just name that. Let's just own that right now. It's not easy. In fact, it's flipping hard. It's complicated. There are a few reasons for it. One is postmodern thinking, okay? One is that Jesus is great for you, but it's not for me, right? And we don't believe that. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, you know, I am the light of the whole world. Everybody who is craving anything, who is driving towards anything, who is orientating their lives around anything is longing for Jesus. They just don't have the language or the experience to understand that yet. But it's a difficult thing when people say, Jesus is great for you, but it's not for me, and that has to be okay, leave me alone. The other problem is the gap in the conversation. Do you know the way it's easy to talk about the weather and your wife, but it's, it's, it's quite hard to go from how's the weather, how's your wife, to what do you think about the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and its relevance for our everyday lives? That is quite a big chasm. Um, and, and Alpha is one way, and, and, and it's the best way that I've ever discovered of bridging that chasm between how's the weather, how's your wife, and I follow Jesus, let me tell you about him. Because in the changing room at football, I've, I've never been able to do that. Um, I, I've been able to invite others to Alpha, and there's been conversation, but it's not a bridge that I've been able to get over. That's why the, the final part of Alpha, there's food, there's a talk, and the last part is friendship. You see, Paul said to the Thessalonians, we loved you so much that we shared not only the gospel, but also our lives. The real secret of Alpha is discussion. Discussion is the engine room of Alpha because people begin to feel loved and listened to. Hey, did, did you know that every single post on Facebook and on Instagram and Twitter, it, 99% of what's on there is people saying, does anyone see me? Does anyone hear me? Does anybody listen to me? Do I matter? And the answer that we can offer as the church of Jesus is yes. We see you and we hear you and we love you. And um, that's what begins to happen on the Alpha Discussion Group. And people feel listened to and there's a bit of reality and a bit of authenticity. The best Alphas are not where we have all the answers. It's where we're real and there's a bit of fun and we're down to earth and we're just ourselves. And people begin to articulate what they think they believe or what they, they think they live by. 
and they realize that this doesn't make a lot of sense. And this gospel message that I'm seeing and hearing and tasting and feeling around me, this is, this is a whole lot more, more coherent than the things I claim to believe myself. Friendship is the best lens for the gospel message, but it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. Paul said, we loved you so much that we shared not only the gospel, but also our lives. Did you know that 94% of people who come on Alpha have been personally invited, but only one in six invitations are successful? That was our research would tell us. What does that mean? It means that we need to invite people to, to do Alpha, and it also means that we need to celebrate unsuccessful invitations. If all you ever hear is, I invited someone and they came, I invited someone and they came, then when it doesn't work out, you feel like a failure or you feel like it wasn't worth the effort. But five out of six invitations, according to the best research that we have, are unsuccessful. We need to celebrate those. We need to say, do you know what? I invited people and they didn't come. Well, that's amazing. Well done for stepping out and inviting. Maybe the next time it'll be a yes. It's inconvenient, but I'd love to encourage you. If you haven't done Alpha for a while, if it's been 10 years, if you've never done it before, it's a journey and very often a journey with others that so often is unforgettable because you meet with the manifest presence of Jesus along the way. Uh, and there's nobody here that a, a journey through Alpha would do any harm to. Um, so often it brings us back to the heart of who we are and, and, and what we believe about Jesus and who he is. Let me finish with this. Um, evangelism can be frightening and, and intimidating. Uh, you might have seen this on the Alpha training video, but I think it's a brilliant way of putting it. Alpha has always been about friends bringing friends. Food, the gospel, friendship. You know, Simon Peter on the day of Pentecost, he preached to thousands and thousands came to faith. And I don't often imagine living a life like that. But how did Simon Peter come to faith? Well, his brother said to him, come and see. He didn't, he didn't explain like everything there was to explain. He didn't say all there was to say. He didn't have a PhD in theology. They're just everyday, uh, regular blokes, Galilean fishermen. And, and his brother said, come and see. Uh, and Peter lived an extraordinary life. Billy Graham was the best evangelist of the last century, and he had fantastic hair. Even right, right to the day he died, smashing hair. Um, and I, I don't imagine being an evangelist like Billy Graham, and, and I don't imagine having hair as good as, as his when, when I get older, but how did Billy Graham come to faith? His friend, Albert McMakin, said, come and see, come and see. It's always been about friends bringing friends. I, I've gone uh, over time, I, I know that, I can feel that. Um, I want to tell you one very quick little story just to finish. Uh, it's a silly story, but who knows, it might, it might be for somebody this morning. A few years ago, there was a gorilla in London Zoo called Kumbuka, not Harambe. Okay, that was the guy that got shot. It wasn't Harambe. Um, Kumbuka, gorilla in London Zoo, and he escaped London Zoo. And there was, a, uh, there was a wholesale panic, okay? They pressed the red button. This was like 
the thing that should never, ever happen. The gorilla is loose. The, the, the zookeeper probably had visions of him climbing London Tower, wrecking the place, you know, like full-blown King Kong-style carnage across the streets of London. And they started looking for him. They phoned the police. They phoned the army. They're like, there is a gorilla loose. Um, he has got free. And they, they, they looked for him, and they looked for him, and after three hours, they found him. And he was in the zookeeper's office, and he had drunk four liters of undiluted Ribena. <laughs> passed out with a sugar coma and was escorted back to his enclosure uh, and all was well in London Zoo. Why am I telling you that ridiculous story? Because God has been speaking to me about it and... Um, Paul writes to the Galatians and he says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And too often I have indulged my freedom by sitting in comfortable cages, by enjoying childish pleasures, by worrying or being afraid to step out and take a risk to to lean into the adventure that God is calling me to. I wonder, uh, is there anybody here that as you begin to think about Alpha and who you might invite or whether it's a journey for you in this season of your church, as you gather around food and the gospel and friendship and, and, and you pursue God for life change and transformation, I wonder, uh, is there anybody that feels God saying, you know, we need to be a little bit less kumbuka and we need to be a little bit more King Kong and lean into the, the adventure that God has called us to. You see, it's for freedom uh, that Christ has set us free to attempt great things for God, to believe that God will do great things and that the next chapter of your story as a church will be greater than the last and that he will transform us from one degree of glory to the next. Let me pray. Father, uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity to uh, share something that's on my heart this morning. I just pray, Lord, that where I've indulged myself or where uh, there's stuff that's not of you, you'll just let that fade now, God. And, and where um, we have been listening for your word to us this morning, Father, may we hear it uh, clearly. And I just pray, God, that you'd make us hungry to see people's lives transformed. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the way you've transformed lives on Alpha uh, and in other ways before. Uh, but God, I want to pray that in the next season uh, for Vineyard here in Carrick, that um, God, there would be a bigger harvest than before and there would be greater works of transformation than before. Not because we can do that in ourselves, we're totally helpless, but because we believe in your ability, Lord, um, and we long for more of what you're doing. Uh, and I just pray that as these guys gather around food and you're welcome around the gospel and around friendship together, Lord, would you take them back to the heart of who you are, uh, your love for, for them, uh, and would you also help us to share that with others and, um, yeah, just introduce others to Jesus uh, and lean into all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.